0: Welcome to Episode 6 of Make Me Watch It, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This is the podcast where I go through the over 800 movies I've never seen and discuss whichever ones our listeners vote for at bureau42.com. On the mobile, just keep scrolling down until you find the voting list. On desktop, look on the right-hand side for the votes. This month, we are looking at Sherlock Holmes' A Game of Shadows, it was originally released on December 16th, 2011. It was directed by Guy Ritchie, who also directed Sherlock Holmes from 2009, which this is a sequel to. Ritchie is best known for Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which was his directorial debut. He also directed Snatch, Swept Away, Revolver, Man from U.N.C.L.E., and King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. He does have something of a reputation for a pretty clear visual style, not just in terms of the way he sets up his shots, but the way he edits and the quick cuts in a few places, as well as some very rapid alterations to the speed of the film, so we will go high speed, slow-mo, high speed, slow-mo, and switch back and forth pretty quickly. There are three credited writers to this film. The first is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who gets character credits, although they did borrow more than just the characters when we look at some moments that were specifically borrowed from the final problem, and so forth. Of the other two, one is Michelle Mulrooney, who's got four IMDb writing credits including Sonny and Cher Love You, Paper Man, and Power Rangers. She's joined by her husband, Kieran Mulrooney, whose only three writing credits are this, Paper Moon, and Power Rangers. Though Kieran is better known as an actor. He's got 39 credits there, including playing Benzin on Star Trek The Next Generation, the episode The Outrageous O'Connor, in which he played the Romeo in the Shakespeare homage in that plot. Now, oddly, he also guest starred on Seinfeld in The Implant, which also guest starred Terry Hatcher, as did the outrageous O'Connor. He had a guest spot on Enterprise, but he's best known, according to the IMDb, for Gettysburg, Spitfire Grill, and Career Opportunities. Note that this is a completely different writing team than the 2009 Sherlock Holmes. The score was by Haunt Zimmer. We've heard his name often enough in various podcasts. He's best known for Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, The Dark Knight, Lion King, and Inception. The cinematographer is Philippe Rousselot, best known for The previous Sherlock Holmes, directed by Guy Ritchie, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. He won an Oscar for A River Runs Through It and was nominated for Henry and June and Hope and Glory before that. And the editor was James Herbert, who's got 20 credits, including Rock and Rolla and the previous Sherlock Holmes, also directed by Ritchie, as well as Edge of Tomorrow and Gangster Squad and a number of others. The cast stars Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes. He's probably best known these days for playing Tony Stark and Iron Man, so I suspect anyone listening to a podcast that through Bureau 42 is already well aware of his credits. Jude Law plays John Watson. He's also known for Enemy at the Gates, Cold Mountain, and Gattaca. He's had two Oscar nominations for Cold Mountain and The Talented Mr. Ripley. Newly Replace plays Madame Simza Heron. She's best known for Prometheus, Girl with the Dragon, Tattoo, and The Drop, and many of her credits are for Swedish films that I'm not familiar with. Rachel McAdams briefly returns as Irene Adler. She's best known on the Internet Movie Database for Midnight in Paris, Mean Girls, and Spotlight. She's best known on Letterboxd for providing emotional support to a white man who can time travel, as she did in About Time, The Time Traveler's Wife, Midnight in Paris, and Doctor Strange. She did receive an Oscar nomination for Spotlight. Jared Harris plays Professor James Moriarty. He's also known for Box Trolls, He played Ulysses X. Grant in Lincoln and was in Natural Born Killers. Uh, These days he may be better known for his TV work as King George VI in The Crown for Netflix and as Anderson Dawes in The Expanse. Now, Stephen Fry plays Mycroft Holmes. He's also known for QI, V for Vendetta, Alice in Wonderland, A Bit of Fry and Laurie, and the original British, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Paul Adderson plays Colonel Sebastian Moran, best known for The Revenant, Legend, and In the Heart of the Sea. He made his acting debut as Jason in Doctor Who The Christmas Invasion. Kelly Riley returns as Mary Watson. She was also known for Flight and Eden Lake. Geraldine James is back as Mrs. Hudson, who's also known for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gandhi. She played Blue 3 in Star Wars Rogue One as well. Now, why do I own this, but haven't gotten around to watching it yet? I enjoyed the original when I saw it, but I never got around to seeing this in theatres. Partly due to lukewarm reviews, and partly because I had the BBC series to scratch my home's itch. So this one continues where the first film left off, or shortly thereafter. The visuals are consistent, thanks to the consistent director and cinematographer, but there is a definite shift in the story. The original had a detail-oriented mystery that was a whodunit first and foremost in the plot, and then the character relationships were second. This film moves more into Columbo territory, where Holmes actually knows that Moriarty is behind everything before the movie even begins. So this is about him trying to prove it. But it also feels like the movie shifts focus so that the Holmes-Watson relationship is at the forefront and the mystery takes a close second. So the dialogue is just as snappy and witty, the clues are just as carefully hidden in plain sight, but the shift to a different genre of mystery may not be satisfying to all audiences. I'd say it's equally well made overall, but I wonder if the reception from audiences made it feel like it was a worse movie because the people who would have enjoyed the shift didn't go because they didn't enjoy the original and just were silent online and were grossly outnumbered by those who were dissatisfied with this one because they preferred the original rather than the other way around. Now, for comparison with box office dollars, the 2009 original has a $90 million estimated budget. A 63,304,277 domestic opening weekend, and a final worldwide box office of $524,025,679, a little over $209 million of which was domestic. So by that rule of you know two to three times the budget to be a profit, this came in slightly over the two to one ratio for the domestic release, but not the three to one. Although, you know, looking at the worldwide totals, that ratio of grosses to budget was more like 8 to 1. So the original was pretty clearly profitable. In comparison, the sequel has $125 million estimated budget, but only a $39,637,079 domestic opening weekend. Slightly higher worldwide box office, it was $545,848,418, but only 186,764,258 of that was domestic. So the domestic numbers were not profitable, although the worldwide numbers were. It made about 20 million more worldwide, but 20 million less domestic. So that does show that the international box office grew by about 40 million. It is less profitable though, and profitability is a big part of what Hollywood looks at. So sure, the overall revenue is up by 21 million, but the budget was up by 35 million. So, this made $14 million less profit and a 30% less profitability. The profitability is the proportion of revenue or profit to the budget. So, that 30% drop is pretty substantial by Hollywood standards, which could be why the third film was announced, but six years later, it still hasn't gone into production. So, although I would certainly see it, I'm not terribly hopeful it's actually going to happen between Robert Downey Jr.'s Marvel schedules. And that drop in profitability here, I don't know that it's ever going to materialize. So in the end, I would say that this is not particularly worse than the original. It's just a slightly different tone and direction. My only real issue with the way this was made is that they chose to bring back Irene Adler just long enough to kill her off. I'd have preferred it if Moriarty just sent her on a mission way out of reach. So she still could have been there for a third film. You know, treat her more like they treated Margot Kidder in Superman 3, where she's got a minimal role to acknowledge her but leave her available for sequels. So I don't know if the decision to kill her came from the writers first, or if that was a request Rachel McAdams made, but yeah, I think she's dead within the first five minutes of the film. So that's about all we have to say about Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows. It wasn't nominated for any major awards on its own. There's not really any messages or morals. It's fairly fun. It does have some things that don't quite work, like the urban camouflage works great for the camera, where Sherlock Holmes wraps himself in something that helps him blend in completely with upholstery or wallpaper or whatnot. But that sort of idea, the 3D disguise that makes you fit into a 2D background, only works from one particular camera angle. So what works beautifully for the camera would not actually work for the characters in the room. But broadly speaking, it is an entertaining mystery, and I do like the interaction that Holmes has with Moriarty. They're good foils, it just feels like we needed a little more meat in between to build up to it. So when it came to the final confrontation with Moriarty, it was all about Moriarty first and not about the Holmes-Watson dynamic first. That would come second as they're struggling with Watson and his wedding. So there are still three movies tied for having the most votes in terms of what we're going to be covering next. Those movies are Robocop, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and the original Sin City. We'll be covering Robocop in July, because the 30th anniversary is only three days after that podcast is due, so seems appropriate. Leaving Sin City and Bram Stoker's Dracula, if we're running on the regular schedules, to be August and September. Sin City will be August. I'm going to bump Bram Stoker's Dracula to October instead of September, just because that's more appropriate, and pull up one of the second place winning titles for the September podcast. So in the meantime, please check out any other shows you want on Bureau 42, rate this and any of the shows that you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use, because it really does help the shows get noticed, share length with friends who you feel may enjoy them, and finally, thank you for listening.